This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And good morning, good afternoon, good whatever uh, it is for you. Here you are live with Dr. Jeff Weber. Here's your host for the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio. Past the best with Dr. Jeff. And that is a live call-in show. I think we're the only live call-in show here on Pet Life Radio. And um, so we want to hear from you. So I'm going to give you a couple of easy ways to get a hold of me. Uh, number one, the good old-fashioned way. Pick up the phone. Toll-free, 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. Uh, better yet, you can join us here live on Google Hangouts. If you go on to PetLifeRadio.com, click on Shows, the Dropbox, find Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, and click on that. And then you will see a box. Uh, scroll down a little bit, and you will see a Google Hangouts link. Very easy. So what you do is you just click on it, and you can join us here live. Um, have your pet with you. And as I've been saying, and I'm saying more and more, it's beginning very fun. Let me just throw a little, throw a little fact and figure on you from about what we call telemedicine, telehealth. On the human side, three years ago, 350,000 calls were made via a telehealth telemedicine service to a physician. 350,000. Last year, 2017, 8 million. So just so you know, it is really happening the way of the future. So this is really something you get used to because you can always join us on my live DVM app. We're pretty going to hopefully going to rename it soon to something even more catchy and cute. But truth is just get used to uh, being able to click on your phone, pull up uh, either a progressive web app or just a regular, uh, what they call a native app, and you can join us live. So just have your pet with you and, and let's try it. It's fun. It really is. So uh, anyway, I just uh, heard from our producer that today, at least according to Twitter, it's National Dog Day. So I hope that uh, many of you have dogs. I have four that exceeds the limit here in Los Angeles. So yeah, I think to five. It used to be three. And they realize there's so many dogs in shelters and so many really responsible pet parents out there and great homes. Why limit to three? So um, anyway, I have four. So anyway, we'd like to hear from you. If there are any things about anything you want to talk about, if you had a problem with your dog this week and you want to you know, get a little info, then go ahead and uh, give me a call. It's free, free advice. Can't complain with free advice. So um, if you listen to my show, you know that A, I would lo- really like to hear from you. B, I like to start my show with just stuff that I found in the news as I peruse the news, mostly from the pet and veterinary websites. So I have something, I, you know, several weeks ago, I'm sure you've heard that story about the guy sitting in the hospital bed, had his arms and legs amputated. He's going to have part of his nose amputated. They're probably not done with surgery, all because of a very weird bacterium in dog saliva called Capnocytophaga. So I did a piece for Inside Edition. I'm often called by Inside Edition, their West Los Angeles Bureau, when there's any story in the news about animals. And here I am being washed, licked, kissed in the face by a dog sitting with me on the table. And um, one of my colleagues who is a medical doctor, an MD, friend of mine says, Jeff, are you nuts? You're sitting there. First of all, as I, I reported on Inside Edition, it is a very, very rare condition. You're just, just so you know, this is probably the first time you've ever heard of it. I will tell you it's the first time I've ever heard of it. One of our hosts on Pet Life Radio, Dr. Justine Lee, who is double-boarded in emergency medicine and toxicology. So, of course, whenever I get these stories and I want to do my homework, I call Justine for things like this. Justine's never even heard of a case. So, and she's double-boarded. 
So I finally called my uh, friend of mine who is an MD, infectious disease specialist. And again, he kind of shrugs it off. It's like, it's so rare. You have to have all these weird pieces put together in line. First of all, 75% of dogs have it. 57% of cats have it. Most people carry it. And here we are, right? Without getting too graphic, but I'm sure you've locked tongue with people. You've never had, you don't worry about this. Well, so a report came out from the CDC, Dr. Jennifer McKeeston, and it says, she says that as far as the uh, Copnocytophaga bacteria, she's with the CDC. She has two dogs that lick her kid's face all the time. She is not worried. Basically, most of the cases, even if you get it, respond very well to antibiotics. And the key is it's alcoholism. It's a weak immune system, either because of a disease state or because because of another disease, you're on medication, like an arthritis, a rheumatoid arthritis medication or psoriasis medication. One of these medications you hear on TV that suppress the immune system, that's when you could be at risk. And you know, it doesn't mean you're going to get it. It just means you're more at risk. People that don't have a spleen, if for some reason the spleen was removed at some point in one's life, whether it's because of a cancer or another problem, these animals, this is where the reservoir of antibodies could be stored. And if you don't have a spleen, then it is possible that this usually benign infection, even if you were to get it, it's benign, but all of a sudden it becomes so serious. So for those of us, myself included, who, as I joke, I get more tongue than anybody I know, this is, I'm not worried at all about capnocytophaga. But just to, to clear it up, this is, and this report coming from the CDC. So I think you should be able to believe it. So also in the news, tougher regulations on air travel. Catch this. And by the way, this might just be the, the first one. Southwest Airlines now allowing only one emotional support dog per flight. Now, it used to be there was only one per cabin. So if you had a three cabin, a first class, a business class, and a coach, uh, you could have three. Now, they're, well, they don't have, obviously, if you've flown Southwest, they don't have the different cabins. They have one kind of like riding a Greyhound bus in the air. Anyway, they are one per flight and the animal has to be either tethered on a leash or in a carrier at all times on the flight. And and the passenger bringing the pet on is going to need to show on flight day a letter from your physician or mental health specialist on the day of the flight about your condition and why you need to have a service animal, a support dog. So just FYI. Uh, because of some of the issues the airlines have been going through, because of the heat they've been sort of uh, exposed to, and I don't mean the heat outside, I mean the, the heat from having problems on air, you were going to see a lot more of this. It was very predictable. We've talked about this a while on the show, a long time ago, that because of people taking advantage, it is only going to come and, pardon the pun, bite us in the vines. Oh, here's cute. So there's a place that opened up in Laguna Beach, California called Catmosphere Laguna. So what is Catmosphere? It is another kitty cafe. There are a couple of other uh, number popping up in the U.S. We've seen them in Los Angeles, Washington, D.C., Seattle, many other uh, cities across the country. Conceptually, basically, it is cafe. This one is really cute. You have two parts to it for a regular cafe, internet cafe, sit and have some coffee, a light bite. Uh, it's free for anybody. Behind a glass, there is a whole playroom with cats. And for a fee, a nominal fee, you can go in per hour, pay per hour, and play with the cats, and hopefully, which is their hope, even adopt one. So that's really, really cute. I think it's a great idea. Uh, the one in LA, something in whiskers. You can actually go in and while you're having your coffee, you're eating, you have a cat on your lap. I mean, it's really a cute idea. 
And uh, it's great for the cats. It's great enrichment. And if you haven't had a cat before, what a great way to test whether or not this cat. I mean, my dad was never a cat guy. We had dogs growing up. We used to have to sneak a cat into the house. I've never been without a dog. I now have six cats. And he gets, gives me a call one day and he wants to know what some good cat breeds. I tell you, know, at the time I had an Oriental. I had a, my main Coon Norwegian Forest Cat Cross. I had a Bengal, and I mentioned Burmese are also great cats. He goes, Burmese are good cats. I said, oh, Burmese are great cats. He says, get me one. I had to take a look at the phone. Wait a second. Is this my dad? You want a cat? Turns out he was at a friend's house, and he was sitting, and they were smoozing with his friend and having a cup of coffee. And um, all of a sudden, this cat jumps on my dad's lap. Get that. He takes his cat. He tosses it off his lap. And two seconds later, this cat is running back on his lap. He tosses it off the cat, the lap again, back on the lap, and playing with his hand, his fingers, and he says to his friend, what is this? He goes, what is what? He goes, what is this cat? He goes, oh, it's a Burmese. So when I mentioned Burmese, that's all he had to hear. He has now two. So uh, you can even convert a dog person to a cat person once they get the feel and they see what it's like to play with a cat. Cats have personality. They are not necessarily aloof. They are social. My cats read the dog book by mistake. And uh, they, you, you come over to your house, they're going to attack you with love. And so I think cat cafes are a really great idea. Here's one. Be very careful about giving bones, even if they're processed, treat bones to dogs as well. Not because they splinter. Some of you get these big knuckle bones, you know, these femoral bones. They're actually very strong. But if you get a rib bone, for example, what happens is often, more often than you would imagine, the bone lodges in the mouth, usually up on the, on the hard palate, going across, getting lodged in between the molars, and then they try to get it out, and then they bite another one, and it pushes it up even more, starts indenting into the palate itself, causing major problems. And then, now you have a dog who's miserable because they're using their tongue to try to dislodge this bone, and they are going nuts, and they're salivating. They don't want to eat. They can't eat. It's so annoying to have that thing, and they cannot get it out. They're pawing at their mouths trying to get it out. When the time they bring it in, they are so irritated, they often requires anesthesia just to pry or surgically cut this bone out. And how the story ended up in our smart brief was because the veterinarian had to take a saw, a little circular saw, and cut the bone because there was no way she could dislodge it. So just keep in mind that these could be a problem if you like or do give these bones to your dogs. Make sure to check them. And I would say just exercise caution. They do love them. There's no doubt about it. They love them. But exercise caution. This I thought was really, really cool. It's a totally a science thing. So anyone who knows anything about type 1 diabetes, type 1 diabetes is where there is a malfunction of the islet cells, the islet of Langerhans cells into the pancreas, which secretes insulin. So therefore, when we have type 1 diabetes, that is called insulin-dependent diabetes. Why? Because the body can't produce its own insulin. It doesn't secrete it. So we have to externally, through injection, give the insulin. So anyone who knows a type 1 diabetic, it can't be managed with just, just diet or oral medications. These patients need the insulin. So the joke is, why not implant another pancreas or islet cells somehow in this patient to provide the insulin? Great idea. Tough to do. There's rejection. There are all sorts of problems. Well, researchers at Purdue University School of Veterinary Medicine and the Indiana University School of Medicine have been working on something where they test in the mice already, where they inject, they take these islet cells from probably pig origin. They put them in collagen and put them in a subcutaneous injection and inject them into the pet. And these mice so far have remained insulin independent. They didn't need insulin for at least 90 days, three months. 
So that's a really great long-acting shot. Now they're taking the study and they're using it in dogs at these two universities. So that's great. So what you want to do is, I mean, when you think about it, how often do we talk about medications, treatments, diseases that are affect both people and animals, and how important it is that the, the veterinary world and the medical world actually work together to achieve these studies, to achieve results, to discover new medications, new techniques. And I think it's great. So here's one that's going to be tested in dogs first. If it works in dogs, certainly we're going to use it in dogs. And of course, then they're going to go and start working with people. So it doesn't always mean that we get our stuff from human medicine. Oftentimes, human medicine gets its stuff from, from animal medicine. So uh, anyway, can you imagine three months? Any, if you know a diabetic who's giving themselves injections, right, uh, sometimes twice a day with insulin, and all of a sudden, they don't have to have insulin for three months, that's great. And before we break, one last quick story. Radagast Pet Food Company recalled all, all of the varieties of the rad cat raw diet. And we've talked about this in time and time again, that you need to exercise extreme caution when using raw diets. They have contamination with listeria. And just to take this one step further, for any person, pet owner, cat owner, handling the food as they're preparing it and stick it in the cat bowl, if they don't wash their hands well, they can infect themselves with listeria as well. So it's not just the hazard for the cat eating the diet. It's also potentially a hazard for the pet owner, the cat owner, who's preparing the food. So um, anyway, keep that in mind. So we are at that point in the show. We're actually a little over that point in the show. We're going to break for a quick commercial break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Everything we tried failed except the Dynavite. Pick up two bottles of Super Mega Fish Oil. Get the third bottle free. Packed with omega-3, DHA, and EPA fatty acids. Super Mega is great for your dog's immune system, healthy skin, and soft, shiny fur. Dogs love it. Try Super Omega Fish Oil. Buy two. Get one free. At Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Hey, welcome. We're back. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber. Here on Pet Life Radio, to ask the next Dr. Jeff. So, before the break, um, I would say, as you many of you know, I like to go through the news. And now we're going to talk about a, a topic that I, there was one of the news items about the importance of preventive medicine and vaccinations. We may have talked about this before, but for many of our newer listeners, I kind of want to go through some of the new, uh, maybe not so new, maybe new to you, which is important, just guidelines about when it comes to vaccine preventive medicine. And one thing we know about veterinary medicine, one thing we know about medicine in particular, that it is not a one size fits all. So when these companies come out with blanket rules about medicines, preventive care, vaccines, you have to really take a look at these things with a grain of salt. I will get some patients coming in sometimes with a list of vaccines a mile long. And I'm sitting and talking to the client, and I'm wondering how come the little Maltese was given a rattlesnake vaccine, or someone living here in Los Angeles was being given a Lyme vaccine. And there's some groups out there 
hospital groups that I would love to argue with an open forum. In fact, I have been witness to one of these open forums about vaccine where there are an increased sensitivity towards vaccinations and all these other experts from from universities coming up and stating what I'm about to talk about uh, with you about. And then this one particular chain of hospitals gets up and says, no, until they can prove that it's dangerous, we are going to give all of these vaccines. So yes, you're going to vaccinate a dog who never hits the ground in a park or in the mountains, a rattlesnake vaccine. Not very smart. So let's talk about vaccinations, preventive health. I want to talk about core. What is core? Core are vaccines in the area that you reside that the diseases are common to see. And when one evaluates the diseases, the effect of the disease, or I should say the effect of the vaccine is potentially worse than the disease itself. So therefore, do not vaccinate for diseases that are not core. So again, since I know Los Angeles, I'm going to talk about you know, the core vaccines in LA for your basic dog lives in Los Angeles is going to be distemper parvo. It's going to be bordetella, which I call live in LA cough. I hate using the term kennel cough because it's everywhere and rabies because it's required by law. Okay. Let's look at lifestyle now to add on to that. If you have a dog that never goes hiking in the mountains, the hills, the woods, then you do not need a lepto vaccine. In fact, one of the vaccines that causes the most reactions is a lepto. So use it wisely. Use it if your pet is at risk. If your pet is not at risk, right, is not going to be likely subjected to the bacterium, then do not vaccinate. Now, what about a dog who frequents doggy daycare, dog parks, etc., boarding facilities? Well, you might want to add to the Bordetella, which is critical. You might want to add the new influenza virus, the one that protects against the H3N8 and the H3N2, the two strains that have hit the states, and that would be a recommended vaccination. Now let's talk about coronavirus vaccine. What is coronavirus vaccine? What's coronavirus in a dog? It's the equivalent of a 24-hour stomach flu. So you have to ask yourself, do I want to vaccinate against a not very common condition that at worst, it's a 24-hour stomach flu? When you think about the potential dangers of the vaccine, the adjuvant, the preservatives in a vaccine, the reaction, do I really want to waste that on, on a dog who's probably not going to get it. If they do, they go for a 24-hour stomach. Well, the answer for me is no. So I do not recommend coronavirus vaccines. Let's look at cats. You have an indoor-only cat. Unless you're inviting bats, raccoons, skunks into your home, bats into your home to play with your kitty cats, what is the likelihood of a cat getting rabies? An indoor-only cat. Zero. So if you live in a state that doesn't require rabies for cats, as we do here in California. We don't require it. I know back east in New York, for example, it is required. But if it's not required, don't give it. And how about leukemia virus vaccine, feline leukemia? Again, indoor only, only your own cats. They're all FELV negative. Do you really need to give it? And then you get the argument, well, well, yeah, but how about if there's like a fire or something or the cat escapes? It takes prolonged direct contact with the feline leukemia positive cat. They have to share bowls. They have to groom each other. They're licking each other's waist. That's what it's going to take. And it's not just an incidental contact because your cat got out for a day. So I, again, do not like to give vaccines if the chance of infection is very low. Now, I do have some patients that do hike a lot in our little mountain areas. Do I recommend a rattlesnake vaccine? Of course I do, because now their lifestyle is going to warrant it. So when it comes to 
diseases that are titerable. And for us, we have in-house test kits for distemper parvo titer. I like to run titers. Just to give you an example, the vaccine recommendations for distemper parvo boosters used to be once a year. Then it changed to two, now three years. I've been titering for 10, 15 years almost. And I have many, many patients that have now have gone seven, eight, nine years without a vaccine because they have nice, strong titers. So I don't like to vaccinate based on some manufacturer telling me how often to vaccinate. I want to vaccinate if I can, if it's a, if you could figure it out based on what the pet needs. Uh, I know Kansas State University runs just vaccine titers, very, very, very reasonably priced, not for travel out outside the US where some countries require that's a different than the FAVN, that's a different type of test. You can get like a, a rabies tighter run if you really want to avoid rabies for something like 45, 50 bucks. Now, you have to be careful though because you have to make sure that your state will allow a titer for licensing in lieu of a vaccine. The diagnostic lab at Kansas State who does these tests is, is pretty well recognized. So it might be okay. I'm actually, I just found out about this, that they, they also offer a, just a basic vaccine titer for rabies at a very reasonable cost. And I'm going to um, actually check out with our LA Department of Animal Regulation just to see if, uh, if um, we can sort of bypass the rabies vaccine. Now, the same goes true with your preventive medications, things for, for example, heartworm. If you don't have a heartworm problem in your area because you don't have mosquitoes, talk to your veterinarian. You may not need to have heartworm preventive. Now, if you travel, and this is very important, when you decide what you do or don't need, also look at your traveling. If you travel frequently, if you go back east during spring or summer, uh, yes, you want to have your pets on heartworm medicine. If you go to the northeast, yes, you want to do a Lyme vaccine. Do I do Lyme vaccine, Lyme disease vaccine on a regular basis in Southern California? The answer is absolutely not because we don't see Lyme. But when you do, or if things change and we start seeing Lyme, then of course we're going to start vaccinating. So take home lesson here is vaccines are a, a necessity, but frequency of vaccine really depends on the individual and their own immune system. And what vaccines to give depends on, again, your location and lifestyle. So check with your veterinarian, what are the probabilities of, of your dog or cat contracting some of these diseases and be very, very, uh, I would say, cautious or conservative when it comes to vaccine. When it comes to vaccines, less is more. All right. Have a, a great week, everybody. We'll be here next week. If you have any questions, anything you want to talk about, any subject matter that you'd like to learn a little bit more about, maybe understand better, now's the time to do it at my show here uh, weekly on Pet Life Radio. You can send me an email to drjeff, Dr. Jeff at Pet Life Radio. Um, also, check me out on Instagram at Dr. Jeff Werber. Uh, you'll see, if nothing else, the pictures I'm going to post uh, will bring a smile to your face. We'll occasionally do some educational videos. If you have a topic for a quick video, in order for it to work, they've got to be like one minute. Um, then again, send it to me uh, to either my, my uh, uh, send me a message on my Instagram or here on Pet Life Radio, Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next week. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.